Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 52nd episode, and I'm here after the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. It was an interesting weekend, the first sprint of the year. Um, Before we review the action in Baku, first a quick reminder, please go to the link tree in the description. It includes links to podcast pages like all the platforms you can find this podcast, my YouTube channel, which I promise will be up and running very soon. My basement is still a work in progress. My Twitter is on there. My TikTok, which I plan on getting going again very soon, uh, has my email address if you'd like to contact me, as well as my personal Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. As I said, Sprint Weekend with a new format as well. So a lot of sessions to review and a whole new format to talk about. So let's not delay any longer and get right into it. So pretty much how I start every review uh, these days is talk about the storylines heading into the Grand Prix. But honestly, I think the major storylines were covered in the preview and it was all about the new format and, and how that was going to go. And like I said, we have so many sessions to get through. So I think we should honestly just go straight into qualifying. Um, I guess a little note from practice was that the Alpine um both Alpines really had a nightmare, but especially the Gasly car and kind of blew up on him a little bit. And uh, uh, Ocon also struggled to get out of the garage because they had setup issues and whatnot. But anyway, something to note because we will talk about Alpine a little bit later. Anyways, um, in Q1, we had crashes. Um, it happens a lot in Baku. Um, in such a tight, high-speed street circuit, it's common um, that we see some crashes in qualifying especially when they're going flat out it was DeVries and Gasly again crashing out in uh, Q1 very ugly day for Pierre Um, Sainz and Joe both spun Magnussen's car quit on him we had a couple red flags it was a pretty chaotic Q1 and I was not surprised about that with only one practice session going in to qualifying this is qualifying for the race so now this qualifying without you know, with only one practice session going into it has become extremely important. And it's hard for the teams to be ready for that, right? So, um, for example, in practice, because they only had the 60 minutes, and especially with a couple red flags in practice, one being for Gasly, as I mentioned, um, just didn't give the teams a lot of running, which made it challenging for everyone. But at least everyone was on a level playing field. Um, let's, Let's talk about... You know, who struggled in Q1, I guess, um, with DeVries and Gasly both out. Um, we we also saw Magnussen, yeah, quit on him. So that only left two cars down in the bottom, and it was Hulkenberg. Haas really struggled. Um, Hulkenberg got his setup apparently all sorts of wrong. They were testing something out, and it did not work out. And then Zhou Guanyu, the Alfa Romeo pace just doesn't seem to be really anywhere at the moment they've probably been the the most anonymous team so far this year besides the solid p8 finish from Bottas and Bahrain um, but even then that feels like ages ago into q2 things got dicey for Mercedes I did say in the preview I did not expect a good weekend from Mercedes but I did not expect Russell to miss out on q3 which is exactly what happened and Hamilton was p10 um, both of the Mercedes were outpaced by Yuki Sonoda, Lando Norris, and Oscar Piastri. And I honestly think both Mercedes could have been out in Q2. Uh, Had Albon not been slowed down by signs, he was pretty quick in qualifying. And he got screwed over a little bit. It was tight. Hamilton barely squeaked by. And Russell, unfortunately, outqualified by Hamilton for the first time as well. Um, misses out on Q3. Of all the times to be outqualified. Um, in Q3, at this point, it was really looking all down to the Red Bulls, of course, but also Charles Leclerc, who was looking strong throughout the first two sessions and practice as well. Um, the Astons weren't really in contention. The Mercedes looked slow. The Astons were struggling with DRS, which always looks like a bit of a, a silly air or a silly uh, just issue to having to be dealing with for an F1 team. You know, it's just a flap on the back when they have these incredible machines. I was kind of making fun of Red Bull for it last year. So 
I guess it could happen to anyone, but already for a team that is extremely draggy on a track that has a massive straight, you definitely want your DRS working, and uh, it was definitely costing them massively in that third sector. So the Astons, not really there. Um, and after the first laps, Charles and Max actually set the same time. Tied for first, Max set it first, though. That's the rule. So Max was on provisional pole, but on the final laps, Perez had a poor middle sector, Max had a poor first sector, and Leclerc took pole position, the first driver that's not a Red Bull driver to score a pole position or a win this year. So that was obviously a great surprise for F1 fans um, early on Friday. Well, I guess it's not that early for the rest of the world. It's early for me always. Um because, you know, we're in the Western world. But anyway, um, great job from Leclerc. I mean, proving once again that he is not only, you know, unbelievable at this circuit, he is just one of the best qualifiers, if not, you know, unanimously the best qualifier on the grid. He is just incredibly rapid. Also, absolutely dispatched his teammate, poor old Carlos Sainz, eight tenths down on on Leclerc's best time and he was even a second down on the final lap because Science had a bad final lap and did not improve his first lap was actually better but even then that was still eight tenths down he is just not looking comfortable in the car however as I said Mercedes was struggling Hamilton actually had a pretty nice lap he talked about it that got him into p5 for Mercedes um, he felt pretty happy about that finishing directly after the Red Bulls and the and the Ferraris but I think the star of Q3 well Leclerc was the star of Q3 but after him was Yuki Tsunoda putting the Alpha Tauri in P8 this guy just doesn't stop um, right now he is one of the drivers of the year honestly like if you have to look at someone who um, may not be getting the results like a Verstappen or Paris at the moment or of course Alonso who is definitely driving phenomenally at the moment Yuki Tsunoda is that midfield driver that is really standing out to me at the moment. Um, but that is only the first of five pretty important sessions, or I guess four, sorry, if you take out practice, four pretty important sessions this weekend. Now we go to the brand new sprint shootout, Saturday morning. Way, way, way too early for anyone um, in North America to be watching. It was at like 4.30 in the morning. But when I finally did wake up and watch it, of course, pre-recorded, um, I actually didn't mind the sprint shootout. You know, it's weird. I feel like I listen to a lot of other um, British or European takes on the format, and no one mentions, you know, the timing of the sprint shootout. They're like, oh, it's kind of nice to wake up on a Saturday morning and actually have a real session to watch instead of, you know, a free practice. But I'm coming from the perspective is like I never, ever watch either if it's a normal weekend, FP3, and if it's the old sprint format, FP2. I never watch those. Like, I'm sorry, guys. If you expect, you know, a guy to have an F1 podcast and, and wake up in the ridiculous hours in the morning where I am in, in eastern Canada to watch kind of a pointless uh, free practice session, I'm sorry. I don't do that. Um, so... For a sprint shootout, having it be a meaningful session is actually kind of strange where I'm like, okay, well, like I'm not waking up at 4.30 because Azerbaijan is also um, even more early, like a race at 7 a.m. for me as opposed to usually 9 a.m., sometimes 8 a.m. Um, so it's even an extra hour early. I'm not waking up at 4.30 for the sprint shootout. If it was 6.30, yeah, maybe. Um, you know, it's not that out of the ordinary for me to wake up at around 7, so what's another 30 minutes? Anyway, enough about me. I didn't mind the sprint shootout. It was just a weird kind of thing to have to 100% wake up and just watch qualifying right away and especially get it in before the sprint race because I wanted to watch that live. Um, I'll say this before I really kind of review the sprint shootout. Um, maybe this would be better suited to talk about at the end, but I'm already into it. I think a one-shot qualifying would still be a cooler format because the issue with the sprint shootout, besides, you know, I, I, I enjoy watching qualifying, especially at a circuit like Baku, so I, I didn't mind seeing another qualifying session, don't get me wrong, but 
is it going to be the same? Like, can we really expect anything different when it's just like another qualifying just rushed a little bit more? And yeah, they have to use the mediums in Q1 and Q2 or SQ1 and SQ2. But still, you know, the the pace of these cars isn't going to change that much. And if a driver is struggling with his setup because the Park Ferme rules were actually pretty strict, you know, a driver like Nico Hulkenberg, who had a terrible setup, um, in qualifying, wasn't allowed to change it, so he didn't do that much better. Um, the only difference, I guess, was the drivers who crashed in qualifying, like DeVries, um, was able to give it another go. Um, but still, it was just very, you know, I don't want to say processionary. If that is that even the word? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't even know. But anyway, I, I don't want to say it was, it was definitely the same because it wasn't. We actually did see some different things on the grid. Um, but anyway, the sprint shootout, um, first of all, in Q1 with 30 seconds left, uh, Logan Sargent crashed and that really screwed everyone up because I think we could have seen a much different grid had, you know, the drivers been able to finish their last laps. For example, Yuki Sonoda was someone who was heavily impacted there. Um, and Sargent was actually in P11 when he crashed. We guaranteed himself 15th in the sprint however he didn't actually race in the sprint because Williams couldn't repair the damage so all was lost there in, in his SQ1 crash but Sonoda was on a great lap and the red flag came out um, and he was not able to you know his time didn't count so he was actually down in the bottom five with his teammate joined by the Alfa Romeos so they were for the bottom five and guess who the fifth one was it just gets even worse for Pierre Gasly. <laughs> poor, poor Pierre. He was really, really having himself a tough start to the weekend. And I'll tell you right now, it didn't get that much better for the guy. Poor Pierre. Um, so, yeah, he joined the bottom five. In SQ2, bit of a better showing for Mercedes. Uh, you know, they were comfortably in Q3 for a change. Um, and, you know, Alex Albon, like I said, he was slowed down by Carlos Sainz. This time, he gets right into SQ3, no problem. Piastri was the outside um, man there in P11, only three one hundredths off. So, good showing for him, especially when apparently I found out that he was pretty sick and he had ate basically nothing the entire weekend. Um, so, pretty good job from him. Three one hundredths, can't, you know, be too upset about that. P11 still a decent spot to start. But, yeah, SQ3 again, same top three, Leclerc, Verstappen, and Perez. The only difference this time was that Perez actually got ahead of Verstappen, so it was Leclerc again, four straight qualifying sessions on top in Baku. However, he actually put his Ferrari in the barriers on his last lap, and they still couldn't even beat his provisional time. Um, so I thought that was, you know, just another... Incredible performance from Charles. Uh, this time, Russell actually out-qualified Hamilton. A great lap to get himself up into, what was it? I think it was P4, and Hamilton was P6. The Astons were way down in P8 and P9. Albon actually finished ahead of them, best of the rest, because of those DRS issues they were still facing. Um, so I believe Carlos was down in P5. Again, just another tough look for Carlos, getting out-qualified by the Mercedes that looked very poor in... in um, in you know the actual Grand Prix qualifying, which I thought was strange because I feel like Mercedes, you know, was it was proven in Melbourne that you know they thrive when the temperatures are a little colder. Yet it was actually a little warmer for the sprint shootout than it was for the Grand Prix qualifying. I don't know, maybe they just figured something out in the data overnight. I really am not sure what happened there with the Mercedes, but they looked a little better. Now the sprint. George Russell lining up on the same row as Max Verstappen. The front two of Leclerc and Perez get away cleanly and start battling right away. But Russell and Verstappen have a little bit of an incident into turn two. You know, the first, what is it? Ah, the first, oh my goodness, I'm counting it up. The first eight turns in Azerbaijan. I'm thinking first corner, second corner, third corner, fourth corner. Fifth corner, sixth corner, seven corners. Yeah, the first seven corners of Baku. I'm sorry, that was that probably makes for great podcast content. I know me just counting the corners of Azerbaijan, but um, the first seven corners are right 
uh, 90 degree turns. I was about to say right angle, but I guess that is the same thing. They are tight corners as well. Um, and when it's a tight 90 degree corner, basically, if you have the inside line, you are probably going to be able to take them, pull the move off. You know, there's a wall right to the right of you if you're on the outside, or I guess it could be the left of you, depending on which way you're turning. But anyway, in this case, it was to the right. Mac Verstappen had a wall and to the left. He had the, you know, car of George Russell, who had the inside line, dove down Max Verstappen's inside on turn two. And, of course, Russell gets his elbows out a little bit. It's lap one. You're not going that fast. Little taps like that happen. However, Russell actually leaves a hole in the in the bodywork of Max Verstappen, something we didn't know until afterwards. But Max not happy that Russell, you know, overtook him in such a, an aggressive manner. And he actually kind of aggressively overtook him in uh, – or kept the position, I should say, into uh, turn three. But again, Max on the outside. Um, and there was really no investigation into this at all, even though Max really wanted, you know, the aggressive move of Russell reported to the stewards. Um, but I, I'll get into um, what happened with that, because this this little, you know, tasty battle between Russell and Verstappen, um, you know, didn't didn't just end right there. Um, but on lap one, you know, Sonoda loses a tire. Max actually gets George back at the safety car restart, um, restart, just completely undoing that move from George. And, you know, it, it was going to be over for George when DRS came out anyway. So no worries from him. Um, Sonoda also got sent back out after he lost his tire. Like he made it back to the pits that he was sent back out and his car was looking down bad. Someone said it looked like his car was just doing one big drift because the suspension was broken and somehow AlphaTauri didn't notice that, which I thought was kind of wild. But it was a really funny sight just seeing his car look like it's going straight, but it looks like it's going in a diagonal. Um, it, it was quite, quite funny. Um, but I'll say this, guys. I said I didn't mind the sprint shootout. The sprint was a stinker nothing happened after that um basically we got the funny Sonoda moment um and we got a little bit of a tasty battle between Russell and Verstappen on lap one the rest of the race as soon as DRS came out Perez made the move Verstappen couldn't actually get Leclerc because you know his Red Bull was a lot draggier with the hole in his bodywork. um so it got kind of close at times but never really happened um, and everything else behind them just kind of stayed the same. Albon did unfortunately fall out of the points to P9, so tough one for him. But yeah, uh, Checo wins the sprint, Chuckles in second, Max in third. And then they pull up into Park Ferme. Max gets approached by George Russell. And George goes up to apologize, you know, says, Sorry, man, my tires were cold. Um, you know, I had no grip and you can just hear Max Verstappen say, Hey, we all have no grip. You know, it doesn't mean that you can just, you know, go into me with cold tires and Russell, what did Russell say in response? It was kind of hard to hear, but then somebody was able to, to make it out. And he was just like, watch the onboard. That's what he said. He's like, I don't know, man, like watch the onboard. And then just kind of walked away. And Max is like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. We'll see what happens next time. Um, basically insinuating that it's not a threat, but basically insinuating that, okay, the next time we're wheel to wheel, I'll get my elbows out on you, dickhead. He calls him a dickhead on live TV. Of course, if you go and, uh, if you want to find that clip, I suggest going to Twitter. Do not go to F1's Instagram. They're not going to play that or any, you know, verified account for that matter. You know, if it's uh, someone who actually has the rights to F1, they're not going to want to be playing Max Verstappen you know, using that type of language on live TV. Um, not that dickhead is that bad, but yeah, definitely you're going to want to find that video on Twitter. <laughs> and it's he definitely says dickhead. It's not no question about that, um, which, you know, some people weren't exactly happy with. But I've also heard other people, you know, argue that it was actually if anyone, not, not if anyone was at fault, but Max Verstappen only has himself to blame in that scenario, you know, in a faster car, what are you doing taking the risk? And, and that's something that Max actually said in the media is like, I don't understand why take the risk lap one. And actually he might've said that on team radio now that I think about it. 
And uh, his engineer, Lambiasi, responded being like, hey, like they have nothing to lose here. Remember that, Um, which is kind of exactly the point. You know, just let Russell have his little overtake. You're going to get him back easily on the straight. Um, You know, also when you're on the outside, they're on the inside in the street track. Like I said, you're basically you're lost already just like that. So why try to hang it out and, you know, potentially get put into the wall or get damaged like he did? Um, he could have possibly won the sprint, you know, if he was um, able to get Russell back quickly, dispatch Leclerc and battle with Perez. You never know what could have happened. Instead, he took the risk and had to settle for third. He was not happy about it, of course, which is fine. Calling someone a dickhead is maybe going a bit far, but it's not like it's the only time that's ever happened in racing. Someone gets out of a car and isn't very happy. We've seen the likes of Michael Schumacher charge after David Coulthard uh, in that infamous, I think it was 1998 spa. Maybe I'm off by one year. Um, But when he went into the back of the lapped David Coulthard, that was an infamous moment in F1, that's for sure. But anyway, I'm going a little bit off track here. I also just think the last point I'll make on this um, incident between Russell and Verstappen was all the people pointing out just how rich it is coming from Max Verstappen, who, quote, made a career. Uh, I don't remember who said that, but said that he made a career off of moves like this one. And now all of a sudden he has a problem with it when he's the one in the faster car and it's happening to him. Um when you're in the slower car, you have to do moves like that. And that's exactly what Verstappen did for so many years when the Red Bull wasn't quite on the pace of the Ferraris or the or the Mercedes. And now he has a problem when other people are doing it. So people are just kind of like, come on, Max. Like, <laughs> of all the people to complain about a move like this, you're probably the last one to be that should be saying these sorts of things. But anyway, that kind of made the sprint somewhat exciting because we had a little bit of drama off the track. But... Nothing happened on the track, and I I have some more to say about that just shortly. So let's let's quickly go through this race. Um, it was kind of a boring one too. So I promise this review won't take too much too long. Um, at the start, I was surprised how clean it was. You know, everyone got through. I think maybe there was a little a, a Haas or an Alfa Romeo lose a little piece of their car in the back, but obviously it was nothing major because I don't even know what car it was. I just thought I saw a little piece of debris flying. Beyond that, at a track like Baku to get through there pretty so cleanly was was pretty fantastic. Um, Leclerc, of course, led the Red Bulls basically until DRS came out, and then they both got passed pretty quickly, and off they went. The battle between Verstappen and Perez got pretty interesting. Um, Perez was actually starting to close on Max Verstappen a little bit, which I was getting so excited for. And then we see Nick DeVries off on the side of the track, and you know what? It really looked like, he was just going to back out onto the track and keep going. We have the yellow flags, and they're they're going kind of long. We're like, is DeVries going to move, or or what's going on here? And as this was happening, Verstappen, um, you know, Perez was starting to close because Verstappen's tires were going a little bit. And uh, Verstappen was calling for the pit stop. You know, Hamilton actually did the same. He pitted right before this happened. So Verstappen decides to dive into the pits while on TV we're looking at these yellow flags and we're like, oh, okay, well, this could be a safety car. And that's exactly what happens. So just as Verstappen's pulling out, that's when the safety car comes out. So he didn't really benefit from that because everyone was still driving fast. They just weren't allowed to overtake in that sector. Then Perez comes around. He gets the full advantage of pitting under the safety car, takes the lead, um, you know, uh, Hamilton, like I said, also got screwed. A couple other drivers got screwed from that, but they were kind of the main um, top of the field drivers that got hurt by that safety car. Um, so Russell actually, who remember started P11 in this race and Hamilton was P5. Russell was ahead of Hamilton um, after that safety car, but didn't matter to Hamilton apparently because he got past Russell. It was kind of the first moment of the Mercedes really going at it this year, I found. Um, and Hamilton got him very easily. I think it was kind of strange how inconsistent Russell was this um, this weekend. You know, we had a great qualifying in the sprint shootout, but then he had bad safety car restarts, which kind of led to this overtake. He had a really poor qualifying, of course, in, in the Grand Prix qualifying. Just kind of a strange weekend from him, and he actually vowed that he would improve in Miami. Anyway, moving on from there, 
the kind of mini battles, like I said, not much was happening. It was kind of in the back. There was a DRS train stuck behind uh, Esteban Ocon and Nico Hulkenberg, who both started from the pit lane for to to they did setup changes, um, and they put on the hards. Everyone else started on the mediums. So the safety car, everyone on the mediums pit for the hards, and they were all just stuck behind Ocon and Hulkenberg, who you know hadn't made their stop yet. Um, and then the mini battles of the kind of the top eight teams, Alonso was chasing Leclerc, Russell chasing Stroll. I guess I should say Alonso was chasing Leclerc for P3. Russell was chasing Stroll for P7. Hamilton was chasing Sainz for P5. And of course, Verstappen was chasing Perez. So by the end, absolutely nothing happened with any of those battles. All of those mini battles were legit. I, I'm not making them up. But not a single one of those battles even manifested itself into a wheel-to-wheel battle. Um, so that was very disappointing. So, of course, Perez holds on to take the win. Actually looked to maybe even have the better pace than Verstappen for the entirety of the Grand Prix. Um, Russell, because the top eight were so far ahead and everyone was stuck behind the Ocon Hulkenberg DRS train, had a free pit stop to just grab the fastest lap at the end. So, great for him. Um, but the last thing I'll kind of say about this race, and uh, I think most of you are probably waiting for me to, to talk about it, is uh, what in the world happened when Esteban Ocon dove into the pits on the last lap? Um, so when he, when he, you know, everyone noticed that Esteban Ocon still hadn't made his pit stop. He's got to go into the pits. Like everyone, I swear, in the world, apparently, except for whoever is in charge of, you know, keeping the pit lane secure while the race is going on. There was just a whole ton of, of photographers, and it even looked like they were starting to set up Park Ferme, and they hadn't realized that Esteban Ocon still had to make his pit stop. So he dives into the pits, and this is probably one of the fastest pit entries in the entire season. Of course, they all have to slow down when the, when they get to the line around the same speed. Some tracks are a little bit different. Um, but as he's entering and before the line, Azerbaijan, it's at the end of the hugely long straight, like they are coming in there fast and, you know, Ocon, of course, is looking up, thankfully, not playing with something on his wheel or something because there's just a bunch of people standing in his way. He had to, uh, slow down even further, um, to, you know, not hit the photographers. Absolutely wild. I have no idea who's in charge of that, but it was so obvious to everyone else that Esteban had to come into the pits. And I think a lot of people also are missing something where, you know, they're like, oh, well, it's not every day that someone, you know, like waits till the final lap to make a pit stop. It doesn't matter. You know, people pit on the last lap for fastest lap all the time. It happens all the time. Anyone can retire at any moment. Like, it just doesn't matter. Don't be in the pit lane when the race is still going. It's as simple as that. I, I don't understand. You know, if there's somewhere where they have to get some photo, don't be in the pit lane. Be in the stands. Be in, you know, there's I know there's places on the side of the track where people take photos. Why are you there? Especially at the pit entry. Be at the pit exit at the very least, for God's sakes. So, I don't know what... I, I, it's hard for me to criticize anyone because I really don't know who is in charge and who is making those decisions. But whoever was... You messed up, man. I, I don't know how else to say it. Um, Ted and uh, Crofty on on Sky Sports had a pretty hilarious call on that too, and they were both like, they were both like commentating over each other, like, "Ah, oh, this is a shambles. Ah, oh, this is an absolute travesty. Oh my God, what is happening?" And it was just like uh, the way they were doing it over top of each other was just hilarious. Like it just kind of like Crofty's the commentator; he should probably be the one saying it. But they had Ted on the call, and he's just like, "What is going on out here? This is an absolute shambles." Um, Pretty funny moment if you haven't seen it. I suggest watching it, first of all, to see that just wild situation. But then for their call, too, just kind of amplifies it in kind of a humorous way. Um, so, yeah, that's the race. Um, like I said, nothing exciting really happened the entire weekend. But I have more to say on that in a moment. Let's get to the results. Sergio Perez in P1 adding to his street race win tally. Ahead of Max Verstappen in P2, P3 was Charles Leclerc. Um, he ended the Fernando podium streak. Um, Fernando did still take P4. Sainz was P5. Um, an overall good weekend for the Prancing Horses. However, Sainz was 20 or so, 25 seconds off of Leclerc. 
just not a good weekend from him. Um, even though a P3 and a P5 doesn't look so bad um, when you look at it that way. Um, P6 was Lewis Hamilton. Overall, did look better than George this weekend, which kind of surprised me, to be to be honest. I had George um, getting the better of Lewis this weekend uh, in my predictions. Um, Stroll drove to what was a pretty underwhelming P7. Um, he actually should have finished P6. He made a little mistake that allowed Lewis Hamilton to finish ahead. So it was almost a P7 and a P8 for Mercedes. Um, yeah, just not a great week from, from him. So that obviously gives away Russell was P8. Um, then Lando Norris grabbed P9, getting back to his best of the rest ways. McLaren did look a, a slightly better with their upgrade package. Still nowhere really near the top four, though. Um, and P10 was Yuki Sonoda. Another fantastic weekend from him. Basically, if you take out Saturday, which was, you know, it feel it felt disconnected to the weekend. He had a great qualifying on Friday, great race on Sunday. That's usually what happens on a race weekend, the qualifying and then the race. The sprint part of the weekend was horrible for Sonoda, but um, it's okay because he probably wouldn't have finished P top eight anyway. So uh, good, good on him for getting one point. Um, so driver standings, Again, I'm not doing the whole grid anymore, only doing the top 10. So Max Verstappen is at 93 points ahead of Sergio Perez, who has 87. So only six points separating them now. If Perez didn't have a bit of a mare in Australia, he could be leading the championship right now, or at the very least, you know, being right there with Verstappen. But we have a couple more street tracks coming up and actually another sprint coming up in Imola. Fernando Alonso in a bit of a distant third. He's 27 back from Perez, but... 12 ahead of Lewis Hamilton in P4 with 48. Lewis Hamilton has a 14-point gap to Carlos Sainz, so he is in a bit of a comfortable P4 at the moment as well. So yeah, Sainz is at 34, just ahead of uh, Charles Leclerc and George Russell, who are tied on 28, and Lance Stroll is one point back from them with 27. Then it drops down to Lando Norris, who has 10 points in P9. And then Nico Hulkenberg still holding on to the top 10 with 6 points um, I imagine that O'Connor Gasly will eventually get into that uh, top 10. It's just been a tough start to the season for Alpine. I think you could argue that it's been worse for, for Alpine than it has been for McLaren now um, because McLaren's had two back-to-back -back decent weekends um, where Alpine, even when they have been good and seem like they have a good weekend, like in Australia, it all falls apart. And somehow they only have eight points, which you know segues perfectly in to the Constructors, Red Bull up at 180 points already so far this season. They're almost 100 ahead of Aston Martin in P2. They have 87. Mercedes right there behind Aston with 76. Ferrari flipped their 26 Constructor points into 62. So they're right up in the, in the battle for P2 now. McLaren way, way back um, with only 14. So that is, what, 38 points behind or is it 48? I don't even know. I don't math. Um, then it's Alpine with only eight. A car that they have, only eight points in four races. That's a big yikes. Um, Haas, only one point behind them with seven. Alpha the same, only one point behind Haas with six. Then it's Alpha Tari uh, with two points now, both from two Yuki Tsunoda P10s. And then Williams still with only one point, which is kind of crazy for how you know competitive they've actually looked for the Williams. So hopefully they sort um, some stuff out there and actually start to uh, convert on the weekends and get themselves some, some decent points finishes. Now, because I have an entire preview to still do, we're not doing the normal segue into prize, demise, and surprise. We're just going straight into it. The prize of the weekend, I think, has to be between Charles Leclerc or Checo Perez, and I have leaned towards Checo. I think he had more to gain from this weekend. Charles wasn't even happy about his P3. Yes, he got two poles and he drove brilliantly, but he was still just so dejected that he was nowhere near the Red Bulls in race pace. So I give the win to Checo because this was the first weekend that even, you know, he's got wins in, in Jeddah, but Max Verstappen started 15th. He had a win in Singapore. Max Verstappen had a mare in Singapore last year. Um, you know, the secure one doesn't count. Azerbaijan, Max was going to win that race, and then his tire blew out. Um, Monaco, to be fair, Max didn't race very well there. But, you know, 
it was arguable that if Checo didn't crash in in uh, Q3 that year in qualifying, Max could have qualified ahead of him and still finished ahead of him in Monaco. So this was the first weekend that I would say you could easily say that Checo was better than Max from start to finish. So that is uh, that bodes well for Checo's championship hopes, but there's still 19 rounds left and, you know, the consensus is right now that Checo has to do a lot more than just win the Azerbaijan Grand Prix and sprint um, to prove that he can actually challenge Verstappen in a title fight. Now, I have a bit of a rant to go on because my demise, I'm changing the rules. I used to say that the prize and the demise have to be either a driver or a team, and then the surprise can be anything. But I'm changing the rules just for this one scenario I guess just because I have to get some things off my chest my demise is f1 as a whole um a few things so I apologize if I'm kind of all over the place as I probably usually am anyway but maybe it, this is going to be even worse because I'm not very happy with uh the four races that we've had so far including you know the um two I guess kind of mini a mini race and then the actual race this weekend um why in the world has there been no overtaking at all this year? You know, I'd say, why have we had a, a good Grand Prix? And I think most of it would be like, well, Australia was pretty exciting. Um, and I do agree with you. I think it was interesting seeing how close everything was after Max Verstappen. Um, but like, it was just... It was inc- it was insane. I, I, if it wasn't for Max Verstappen finishing way out of place in Jeddah, the overtaking this year would be horrendous. You know, he he overtook pretty much everyone in that race. Um, of course, they're you know miles ahead Red Bull, um, but it's just the drivers are reporting that it's harder to follow this year, which is the entire point of these regulations. Um, you know, I, uh, the Sky Sports feed pointed out. You know, the more downforce these car these cars add the more turbulent air that it's going to create, right? Um, but I just I, I I just can't believe, you know, how bad it's been so far this year. You know, that was probably the worst Azerbaijan Grand Prix I've ever seen. There was only, I think, 13 overtakes. And everyone was complaining about dirty air. They couldn't stay. They couldn't get close. That's exactly the, 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 the things we had in the last regulations. And I pointed out, you know, uh, the, the part that sucked even more was, of course, they, they reduced the DRS. That, of course, is a point. But the slipstream and the DRS effects are less in these regulations, too. And if there's still dirty air, that's worse. I would rather them not be able to get close. But if they can get somewhat close and get into DRS range, then they can slipstream and DRS the hell out of the car in front. And, you know, we had triple overtake here from Daniel Ricciardo back in 2017. Um, And, you know, we have had insane Grand Prix here in Azerbaijan. Yet we we get this back-to-back years. 2022 wasn't great either, but it actually had more overtakes than this year. This was just a bad Grand Prix all around, and I and kind of another reason that this was really bad was the Pirelli tires. I haven't been impressed at all with Pirelli in these past two years. Ocon and Hulkenberg held up the entire back half of the field on tires that lasted the entire Grand Prix, and those were the C3s. You know, those are softs or mediums at some other circuits. It's not like that was the C5, or I always forget if it's C5 or C1, which is the soft and the hard. But it's not like it was the hardest compound and Pirelli just kind of made an error choosing which. Like these were the softest three compounds that we possibly could have brought to the Azerbaijan circuit. And there was absolutely no degradation. Um, And even when, you know, they did start to fall off, the drivers in the midfield who were, you know, right up against Ocon and Hulkenberg couldn't make moves until like 20 laps into the stint. You know, Gasly was a lot quicker than low I think it was Logan Sargent um of course you know the the Williams is a little fast in a straight line but it took him like the entire Grand Prix distance to be able to overtake him it was it was just not good um the tires need to degradate more we keep getting these boring one stops you know for uh, F1 is better when we have a variety of effective strategies like think back to Spain 
2021. I know this video has been shown a million times on F1 social medias. The Mercedes masterclass, you know, is what they call it. You know, Hamilton coming in for a surprise second pit stop and, you know, outracing Verstappen to the finish because Verstappen's one stop, uh, you know, his tires degraded so quickly. F1 is better when the tires degrade. You know, I, people have even talked about, you know, making a mandatory two-stop because then at least they have a choice be- between going like soft, soft, hard or or whatever, a more conservative two-stop. A one-stop is pretty much always going to be the same. You know, there's only one good answer to it unless it's like a, a Mexico last year situation where the, where the Red Bulls are so much better on their tires that they're able to do an aggressive soft medium um, where Mercedes probably made the wrong choice but still went for the medium hard anyway it's pretty much always going to include a long stint on the hards when it's a one stop and that just doesn't necessarily make for great racing when when the drivers are tire managing instead of um going flat out sometimes drivers are going flat out when others are tire managing like that's what you want i mean i think i just did a horrible uh, job explaining that last bit but you guys get what i'm saying also, the sprint day was dull. I'm not sold on this format. Um, like I said, I really think that there's less to play for now that the grid doesn't, you know, the, 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 the finishing result of the sprint doesn't set the grid, I should say, for the Grand Prix. Because no matter what, everything is still about the Grand Prix. So having it mean nothing for the Grand Prix, I think, just made the sprint, you know, not really worth watching almost to an extent. Because, yeah, the drivers have nothing to lose now so they so they should just send it right um but they still don't want to crash the car um i don't know i just the back of the field not having literally anything to play for is is wrong to me um the only positive now is that there's less practice and we get our traditional qualifying and we get it to mean something I also just think the sprint shootout should maybe differ from qualifying a little bit more, you know, not, not have it be the exact same. It's not the exact same, but it's pretty much the same format of a Q1, Q2, Q3, make it a one shot, make it more jeopardy. I don't know, even get more creative. I don't know. I don't have an idea right now. So it's kind of rich for me saying, Oh yeah, get more creative and do something crazy. I wish I had an idea, but I don't know. I think this week overall, this weekend was an L for Formula One. So I apologize for the rant, but it had to be said. My surprise, I'll keep this one short because we're running long. Alpi, I was shocked how not only how bad they were this weekend, but even just, you know, their upgrades that were supposedly going to be amazing were, they didn't look great. I've, I, I've, I've heard that, you know, because their FP1 was so bad and that was the only practice they got, they completely got setups wrong. That's why they had to change Ocon's. But even then, they changed the setup, and they didn't look quick. So I'm hoping things is just a one-off and things can get a little better, um, and that might be reflected in this Miami preview. Um, but before we get into that, quickly, I, I'm doing Grid Rival, and I'm going to go through my teams every week. So quickly, let's go through that. I had Perez, who, of course, had a really good weekend. Um not actually amazing um, by, you know, the points on uh, grid rival standards. Well, I guess 170 is actually pretty good. So good weekend from Perez. Alonso, good, not great. 157 is fine, though. If you pay for someone who's expensive and they get you 157, um, which is actually the exact same amount of points for Stappen had, who I also had, um, I went kind of stars and studs with this one. Um, you're not going to complain if they get you 157. I had Albon, who was the cheapest driver. I'm not sure how he's cheaper than Sargent, but anyway, I can't complain with 120 points from him. I lost out massively on who my talent driver was, though. I chose Nico Hulkenberg. He was horrendous. He scored less than Perez with double points. So, yeah, I think he had 82 points, but then I talent drivered him, and he still had less. So 162 from your talent driver, who sometimes can put up 100 or 300 points, sorry, um, is a massive L. I also had the Alpha team, and they were pretty mad, but they were cheap, and I expected them to maybe not have a great week for me. Um, so yeah, overall, probably my worst week so far for Grid Rival, and I've fallen out of P1 in the Break Bias League. But that brings me to the point. If you're interested in joining, it's not too late. You can check out the link tree. Also, the the invitation to the Grid Rival League is on there, and uh, 
you know, contact me through the many options there as well if you're if you're interested. So that brings me to what's coming up next, the Miami Grand Prix in uh, less than a week's time. Let's go straight into what happened last year in Miami. And there's a few things I want to mention that could maybe be a positive for the upcoming Miami Grand Prix weekend. Last year, Max took somewhat of a dominant win. This was straight after he looked very strong in Imola. Uh, the straight line speed of the Red Bull really showed here, kind of for the first time when we were like, okay, you know, that Red Bull engine is looking mighty. Um, I guess, you know, it, it, we were talking about it a little bit in Bahrain and Jeddah as well, but I think right here kind of confirmed it. The Red Bulls are very quick on the straights. Um, and it also showed here that the Ferrari degradation was looking a little troublesome. And that was something that really, really manifested itself throughout the year. This was kind of the first time we saw both of those things in the race. And it led to a Mac Verstappen win. Um, so Miami is another street track, technically. But last year's track surface was very questionable. Um, and it led to kind of a dull Grand Prix because no one was really going out onto the marbles and taking the risk because we saw it from Valtteri Bottas who was having a fantastic Grand Prix uh, battling with the Mercedes is the Mercedes is both the Mercedes um, he went out into the marbles and actually lost out to both of them because of that um, so apparently they've improved the track services a little bit so hopefully that improves the racing I know also a lot of people kind of hated on Miami last year. It was very hyped up. Um, but, you know, the race ended up being lame and it was a little gimmicky. Um, There's also just, it seemed more about the celebrities, like Martin Brundle's gridwalk was something I had broke down on last year's Miami review because um, it was just hilarious. But there was just so many stars out on the grid. And I'm also wondering if maybe this year it'll look a little bit less gimmicky. The star power may die down because all the hype is now on Vegas. Um, so I'm actually really pulling for, Am for Miami to be a better race this year and just a better spectacle. I think people overreacted last year. We didn't give it any, you know, it hasn't even got a second chance yet to prove itself. So I'm hoping that this second race that they've added to, you know, North America will go really well. I know I'm Canadian, but I want to see the North American races do well. I absolutely love Coda. Um, and I'm hoping Miami and Vegas can be as exciting as Coda is and also the Canadian Grand Prix, which, you know, a lot of people like as well. So uh, we also have uh, real water in the marina, finally. So I know that all of you that made a big deal about that will be happy. Um, personally, I didn't care whatsoever, but real water or fake water. But anyway, it's real water now for those who cared. Um, so let's let's just go straight into my prediction for the race. For pole, I, uh, I'm going to go back to Max Verstappen here. I, I really can't see any other team contending here like Ferrari did in Baku. Um, this track is just so suited to the Red Bull, and the, the higher temps, I think, in Miami will also help them. Um, and then for the race, I'm, I'm really just hoping that we can actually see the Red Bulls finally go wheel-to-wheel. -wheel. Like, isn't it kind of crazy that we haven't had that yet? You know, there's been circumstances that have robbed us um, through these first four rounds of, you know, what could be a dramatic title fight. It's still a dramatic title fight, but the Red Bulls haven't gone up against each other at all. I really just want a juicy inter-team rivalry, guys, to make this year more interesting. Think about it. In Bahrain, Perez got held up a little bit, and Verstappen drove off. In, in, in Jeddah, Max had the mishap in qualifying, which led to Perez kind of just maintain a gap. And it was still a little juicy with, you know, the targeted lap times and how Perez said that his lap time target was lower than Max and he was questioning things there. So we got like a little bit there, but still no wheel-to-wheel -wheel action. And then in Australia, of course, Perez starting from the back. And then here, um, again, a little bit, but still no wheel-to-wheel -wheel action. It was just Max trying to catch up. And getting shafted a little bit in the pits. But even then, Max wasn't upset about with Perez about that. He just felt that he got kind of shafted a little bit. So, can we please just get the Red Bulls going wheel to wheel? And I pray that they touch and someone doesn't like it. I just want something. Something, please. <laughs> um, but anyway, here as well. 
I might as well just talk about who I think is going to win the Red Bull battle that weekend and then who I think is going to win between Aston Ferrari and Merck because they're a pretty interesting battle um, going on for P2 and the constructors. I have Aston for Miami. Um, I think they're going to look quite strong over Ferrari and Merck here. Of course, Ferrari can always qualify well, but again, I think the the high tire temperatures that are going to be caused here is going to um, definitely hurt Ferrari, and I know Merck doesn't love high temps either. I think Aston will be able to manage that well. I know Aston might be a little vulnerable on the straights. Maybe Ferrari can do something there, um, but yeah, I do have Merck being the fourth best team here, so I think if anyone challenges Aston, which I mean, Lance hasn't really been able to drive up to the standards of of Alonso and neither has signs to Leclerc. So I could definitely see it being like an Alonso Charles signs stroll. Um, I honestly would not be surprised if Lewis and, and George were P7 and P8 here. I, I don't envision them doing well, to be honest. Um, Imola is my high hopes that they can, uh, they can pull it out with their upgrade. Um, so yeah, my bold prediction will be Alpine again. I'm going to have them redeeming themselves after a terrible weekend in Baku. I still have a bit of faith. I know it sounds crazy, but if they get it right in Miami, they're going to have three practice sessions to do this now. Um, so they should be better. Should be. Um, so give me a double points finish for them. That's the bold prediction. Um, and I'm even going to say one of them is going to grab more than a P9. So they're going to get over three, uh, three points this weekend. Maybe a P8 and a P10. Um, maybe we'll see a retirement from one of the top eight. Um, I'm just going to say one of them is going to be higher than P9. And because Brad's Bets is a brand new segment on previews, it's also back this episode for you guys to ride the bias every weekend. I still don't have a better name for this segment at the moment. Well, the name of the segment's Brad Bets, sorry, but ride the bias is going to be the hashtag for, uh, for my bets every weekend. Um, so first, we're going to review my Baku picks. And guys, I have been on an absolute heater right now. This is the perfect time to debut Brad's bets. Not only in F1, by the way, too. In other sports, I have just been absolutely on fire. Over the weekend, I was 6 for 6 on NHL picks. Um, but anyway, we're here to talk about Formula 1. I gave out a massive winner this past weekend. And I hope you did not fade me. If you rode with the bias, you made a ton of money. I put it out on Twitter after qualifying. I will get into that in a second, though. First, I suggested that you bet on Oscar Piastri and Yuki Tsunoda for some underdog points finishes. They were both plus money. Um, Yuki Tsunoda was actually plus 300. Oscar Piastri was plus 220. They were both very close to cashing. Um, Yuki did cash with the P10, so that was a four times your money bet if you bet on Yuki Snow to, uh, to get a points finish. However, the big winner was my Bet365 exclusive that actually became available on FanDuel shortly after. I was wondering why it wasn't there. I just thought maybe the Sprint Weekend was messing things up, but then it actually became available the day after. So if you have FanDuel, it did become available. It was Charles Leclerc for pole position, and like I said, I had no idea why he was plus 3,300, um, so I can tell you right now, I hit that one myself. I don't need to get into how much I put down on it or anything, but I hit that one myself. It was a massive winner. Plus 3,300, guys, is 34x your bet. If you put $1 on that, you made $34. So if you put $10 on that, think about that. You're you're getting into the into the hundreds on just a $10 bet. So I I really hope it was a massive win for you guys too. That's why you gotta follow Brad's bets. In the last one, I suggested half-heartedly. I said maybe try um second place on the grid being the position of the winner. And it was actually looking great when Charles took pole and Max was in second. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Max will probably win the race. And uh, second place, you know, could be the grid position winner. But but Sergio actually pulled it out from P3. So that one was not a winner either. Um, so I guess two for four. But I think it's a lot better than two for four when I give out a plus 3,300 winner. Um, that's, like a, <laughs> that's like a 47 for 50. Um, but I, I just pulled those numbers randomly out of my ass. But anyway, this week, if you want to continue to ride the bias and make some cash, 
Um, I got a couple bets for FanDuel um, because they just ha- always have way less options. They're ve- they're the very simple bets of just points finish, podium finish, winner, um, fastest qualifier, number of classified drivers. Very simple ones where you can get really crazy with it on Bet365. Um, anyway, the FanDuel picks, I have Alex Albon getting a points finish for plus 160. Um, I really like that. I know betting on a Williams who are intent to, to finish in the top 10 does seem a bit wild, you know, and they've had problems finishing the Grand Prix. It is a little bit risky. However, I just think that the straights at Miami are going to really play to the Williams strengths. You know, they continue to be quietly competitive. You know, Albon could have potentially scored points in, in Baku. He, he had a poor, not a poor qualifying, but an unlucky qualifying. And then he was actually one of the ones that got shafted by that early safety car. And then he was stuck in the DRS train. Um, so just a couple things went his way. And I think he actually could have scored points over the likes of Yuki Snowda in this race. Um, last year, the Williams with a lot less downforce and a worse balance scored a P nine here. Um, that was thanks to the Mick Schumacher and Vettel crash, of course, but still Albon was strong. I could see him being very strong again here. He's been having a good year besides the, the air in Melbourne that cost the team big points to be fair. Um, I think plus 160 is a sneaky get there. Um, I also think Alonso podium finish is great at minus 105. I think this is something that could be very likely. Um, Basically, is it going to be Charles Leclerc on the podium? Are Mercedes somehow going to be strong? Or is he going to retire? Those are basically the only things that can stop Alonso from getting this P3. I would bet on Ferrari's DAG being a little bit problematic here and Mercedes to not be on the pace of the Astons. So I think Alonso, um, barring any DRS issues and qualifying again, um, could very well snatch up a, uh, another podium here back in P3. Um, and minus 105 is almost double your money. So I would consider that one for sure. Now my bet 365 exclusives. I think Max getting the double. Um, the double can either be fastest qualifier and fastest lap, fa- uh, win the race and pole, or win the race and fastest lap. I'm going with the win the race and pole position. Um, that is plus 100. So I've always said, if you can get Max Verstappen at better than minus 200 to just win the Grand Prix, I think it's a great bet. Of course, if you followed that advice last week, you lost and you probably put a lot of money on it. But if you continue to do that, I guarantee you're going to make your money back because Max is probably going to win over 15 races this season. Um, and you can also get a little bit more bang for your buck by doing this. I think Max is going to out-duel Checo in qualifying um, this time around. And to parlay it basically with him finishing it off to win the Grand Prix gets you to double your money. And I think it's very likely, of course, just anything can happen in Formula One. So you have to take on that little bit of risk. And then also for the long shot of the week, just because all those were kind of small uh, returns on, on your investment. Um, I, I figured I got to give you another long shot after making it on Charles Leclerc. So I'm probably going to miss all my long shots for the rest of the season, but I do think this is also very likely. Um, it's the plus 500 Nick DeVries to be classified as the last finisher. He was the last finisher, I believe in in Baku, yeah, because he was the first to retire. Yes, he was. So that is the only issue is that just an early retirement from another car ruins, you know, the fact that he's slow. If no one retires, then Nick DeVries absolutely could be the last finisher. He just looks void of all confidence right now. And Miami does have a bit of jeopardy too. So he could absolutely, you know, bid the car again. I think for plus 500, betting on Nick DeVries to be classified in P20 it's not a terrible bet, but of course, the reason it's plus 500 is because Valtteri Bottas could easily retire on lap 30, even though Nick was in last place. Um, you know, Logan Sargent can bin it because he's kind of been doing that a lot lately. So, yeah, those are my bets for the Miami Grand Prix. I am looking forward to it. I'm hoping it's a lot better. Um, but, yeah, that that is going to do it for episode 52 of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I will be back next Monday for episode 53 to review the Miami Grand Prix. 
we're back in the States, baby, and I am looking forward to the second Grand Prix in Miami. Goodbye.